Welcome in to this Tuesday scramble presented by Prize Picks. It's March 15th, 2022. I'm Rick Gaiman. That right there, Andy Lack. And Andy, nobody wants to hear content creators complain about a short week, but uh, this is a quick turnaround for us trying to get all of our stuff in order. Yeah, I've been, especially not to mention the fact that we've got withdrawals potentially coming. So I've been kind of going crazy this morning trying to get some bets in and stuff like that, worried that some of the numbers are going to move. But um, we're all squared away. I'm ready to go. We got a fun week ahead of us. Yeah, we are going to cover the players. We will look ahead to the Valspar Championship. Really great course they have there at Innisbrook. We're going to do the props. They tried to ice us, Andy, but the props are out. They just came out about 15 minutes ago. You and I have been behind the scenes looking for edges, but they're they're trying to ice us on this run that we're on. I know. Yeah, I was scrambling this morning as soon as I saw that they posted it because I looked early and they didn't have it up. And then they posted it about 10 minutes before, uh, <laughs> before we went hot. So I already have some, some strong early leans and uh, I'm ready to rock, man. Let's do it. Yeah, I saw a couple of numbers in there as well. So here, here's what you want to do. Go use the code Rick at Prize Picks. There's a link in the description. Make sure you're logged in and ready to rock and roll because when we get to that segment and we drop the picks, when you're on a 23-2 and two run, the lines change very, very quickly. So make sure you are prepared. But for now, Andy, let's recap the Players' Championship very quickly here. Cam Smith gets the job done. $3.6 million in the bank account. He's going to move from the 10th ranked player in the world to the 6th ranked player in the world. I believe a very deserving players champion. Yeah, I I would say very deserving. And you know what was strange about it is you could probably make the case. I was expecting people to discredit the win because of the wave advantage, right? And because the fact that 50% of the field had a significant disadvantage, but I don't know. It felt, it felt like a big win to me. It felt, I could see like, if, I don't know if somebody kind of backed into it, that wasn't really around all weekend and like, I don't know, Varner won or Keegan won. I could see people being like, eh, you know, what do we make of this week? The big story is the weather anyway, but I think the story kind of turned into Cam Smith. I mean, we'll talk about it more a little bit later in terms of like how he got it done, which was so impressive to me. But yeah, I mean, he is what? What did he shoot up to in the OWGR? Is he, is he six? I, six, I believe. Yeah. 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 And two wins on the season. Um, he's probably number one in the FedEx Cup now, too. But this felt like a big win to me. And I know that people have discredited the players in the past as like, eh, we really going to call it the fifth major and stuff like this. But it did feel to me like this was for Cam Smith, a real, I don't want to say coming out party. Cause you just took down John Rahm in a, in a good tournament, but very, very impressive stuff from Cam. And it's a situation where, it took longer than we wanted, right? The Monday finish and having guys play across multiple days. And we'll talk about the wave carnage in just one second. But when it comes down to it, the players championship has always offered an opportunity for a lot of different guys to win. And that is exactly what you got on the back nine. There were like 11 guys within two shots heading to the back nine on the final round and the holes that you want to determine the championship 16, 17 and 18 they determined the champion. So all in all, I think we've checked off quite a few boxes here. Yeah. 
Absolutely. I mean, it was it was a really fun Monday. I got to say, like it was there was a moment there where I think they were like midway through on the front nine. There was like 23 guys within four shots. Um, and then it kind of, you know, you see what you always see on on Sunday at the players where 17 and 16, like 14, 15 are really difficult holes too, but um, there's a ton of leaderboard movement and a ton of variance that can happen really in the course of like one hole. Like you could pretty much say about every single hole um, on the back nine that like you can make birdie. You could also make double um, mm. or triple or nine in the case of John Rob. <laughs> cool. um, but yeah, I, I was, I had a blast watching it and I got to say, the this the players has has raised in my estimation it's it's raised it's raised in my books and i was completely impressed and surprised with how well the course played despite them getting so much i mean the first couple the first round was kind of like the backspin invitational but <laughs> because of the wind and everything it, it it actually firmed up a little bit and made the course play great yeah, it it really did. And, um, you know, Kyle Porter and I on the first cut last night, we were kind of diving into a little bit about like Cam Smith is weird by modern standards, Andy, right? I mean, he's not the elite ball striker bomber. He does it via the short game. I think if you go and look at, you know, the top 25 players in the world right now, or however you want to look at this, um, I think 21 of them are better ball strikers than they are short game players. If you break down the strokes gain, Cam Smith is kind of the leader of the opposite and being able to pull that off in full display at 18, where he's got to get up and down for bogey after hitting his, his second into the water. I mean, it's, it's impressive stuff. He just does it a different way. He lost like five games, five strokes off the tee, huh? Yeah. Well, when you gain 11 and a half with your putter, uh, that kind of offsets that. And then some, <laughs> so, so I, I, this is what I, so Cam Smith made me, when I was, when I used to go to like junior golf academies growing up, we would always play these like games around the chipping green where mm -hmm. it was just like up and down contests for, you know, $5 for crackers. Like yeah. Yeah. For crackers basically. And in my opinion, Rick, if you're if all of the PGA Tour pros had like just an up and down contest and it was just like who do you trust the most to get up and down in a big spot I think the answer is Cam Smith right now. I think Speeth is obviously a contender, Patrick Reed is a contender, but like chips on the table just like grimiest, slimiest, like just make it just make a four. I don't know if there's anyone that I'd rather have than Cam Smith in the world right now. Yeah, man. He had a couple of those like six or seven footers for par. The momentum savers that he was rolling every single one of them into the bottom of the cup. Honor Bon Lahiri was in it until the very last shot. The, the, the change of a three-shot lead for Cam Smith when he stepped onto 18T to when he's hitting his approach after the drop into... Uh, the green going from a three shot lead to a one shot lead and honor bond uh, giving it a crack, a, a putt or excuse me, a chip at it that, that falls just a few inches short, you know, for a guy who's ranked outside 300 in the world, it would have been very easy for him to have ejected over the course of the final round. Andy, we saw a lot of uh, more highly ranked players do just that, but honor bond stayed in it. He toughed it out. I enjoyed it. Yeah, you know, I I thought he was going to eject far earlier 
uh, than he did in full disclosure. I was even getting, I was bummed because it, it, I don't know if you noticed this. He, he seemed to get so frustrated at himself after that iron shot that he didn't stick it closer. And I was like, bond that you can chip that in. You mm -hmm. left. That's like a very standard, easy chip. Like Casey just had that before you can chip that in. And he gave it a good run, but man, I was so incredibly impressed by him. And, and I, I think that's part of the cool part about the players, right? Is that you get stories like that at the major sometimes, but it seems like the ejections happen a little bit earlier. Like I think about some of the major stories where even recently with just guys like um, Richard Bland leading mm. or, or, you know, or um, who's the guy with the ponytail at the bridge? Oh, the French, you know uh, Mar was Seam. it Marcel Seam? Yeah, Seam. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if we we're getting the pronunciation of That's his okay. last name right, but something about the players, it feels, I always feel in the majors, like those guys can't win. I thought Anurban could win. I wouldn't have picked him to win or bet him to win, but I was like, I could see there's not that inconsistent. Siwoo Kim, I think, was 500 to one right. when he won, right? It was his first real win. So, yeah, incredible stuff from Anurban Lahiri. And um, just love the quotes out of him, too, talking about how, like, you know, as a PGA Tour pro, the gap is so small. And I think that's what people forget is like, Yes, Anurban's the 300th ranked player in the world, but like he is he that much worse than the 80th ranked player in the world? And one week can really like completely change these guys' life. And he what he 2.2 million, something like that. Yeah, phenomenal stuff. So congrats to you, Bon. Uh great week. You did not come up short, my friend. Okay, there's two kind of ways you can get wiped at Sawgrass. There's you hit it in the water a bunch of times and you eject yourself early or the three and a half stroke wave differential, Andy, that wiped out many of the big names in this field, including Colin Morikawa, uh, Jordan Spieth, Brooks Kepka. Uh, it happens. I don't particularly care about this, but I know that this gets a lot of people up in arms. Yeah, I I think that there were a couple players where like, so for example, the Xander Brooks and I think it was more Kawa was the third, that group had to have their first swing of the day beyond 17. Oh yeah. It was Brutal. Xander Brooks and Scheffler. And Brutal. that group had to have their first swing of the day in high winds beyond 17. And it was just Xander was seven over par, I think, through his first two holes. Um, yeah, you know, it, it is what it is. This is going to have it's an outdoor sport. It's the rub of the green. This is golf. Sometimes there's probably going to be this large of a wave advantage. Once every two years, once every two and a half years, depending on how things shake out at the British Open. Right. So I'm totally OK with the elements being part of it once in a while over a large sample size over the course of these guys' career, everything's going to even out. Right. So I, I thought, um, I thought Saturday was fun, right? Like, did you enjoy watching that? I thought it was, it was different. It was weird. It was probably a little unfair in some spots, but like, I, I thought, I thought Saturday was really fun viewing. Yeah, it was awesome. You had to hit 
every shot in your arsenal. And if you did not have every shot in your arsenal, it, it, it was trouble. The guys who had to start on 17, that was so bad. It actually ended up being a huge break. Not that it helped him, but Spieth, that, uh, Spieth's group, which I think was him, DJ, and somebody else, they were on like 17 green at the end of the day, and they did not have to hit that tee shot uh, when they finally resumed. That ended up being a big advantage. Not that it ended up mattering at all, but the guys that started on 17T were just... They were just up the creek. And we got to see one of the more fun rounds I can remember watching in recent history with, with Justin. Th Didn't it feel to you like Justin Thomas did way better than 33rd? Like I was, I was so much more impressed by watching Justin Thomas than I was by like 99% of the field this week. Yeah. He just, he, once conditions got a little bit easier, it was, he wasn't as good, which is kind of, which is kind of crazy. And he ends up kind of shooting a couple of rounds. I don't know what he shot on the weekend, but he falls over the course of, of the final two rounds. And that's all she wrote. Um, speaking of, uh, being up in arms. Did you see the Daniel Berger drop situation with Victor and Joel Damon? Of course. Um, <laughs> I, okay, this may this may get aggravated. I don't think Berger was that wrong. In the wrong, are Mike? Do you do you are uh, you what team are you on? Are you Team Berger or I or Team the other guys? I don't think he was. I, I looked at this. I tried to. I saw it on the outline, so I was like, "All right, let me have a very informed take about this." And I tried to track the shadow of the ball and all of it. And I was like, yeah, I could, I thought what Berger was suggesting to have it all the way that far up, that was too much. But I also thought where he dropped was too far back. I thought it should have been somewhere in the middle. I thought where he eventually dropped was, was closer well, to so being correct. Suggestion. Okay. Yeah. So, so here's the situation and, uh, it's really hard to tell in like kind of a 2D top tracer world because yeah. uh, you can even tell the top tracer kind of adjusts itself when it, the ball's at its apex. So you're like, oh, I don't know if this is right. And the other issue is top tracer is awesome from a fixed point to another fixed point. But that's not what we have. We have a guy who moves a camera behind, slams it down behind the player. And I thought he was kind of, like if you take the straight line of the camera, it was more towards the back left of the green, which would be to Berger's right, which would make it appear that his ball stayed over land longer than it probably did. But that's like full on, you know, Zabruder film uh, analysis that I could go and look at for the next couple hours. Yeah. And I think the main thing here is. Like, what are you supposed to do? Because everyone was saying like, oh, the rules official needs to have like a heavier hand in that situation. It's like the rules official didn't even have close to as good of an angle as the players. So when the rules right. official is coming on from like, he's, he's on the other, he's on the other side of the hole. Right. And so he's basically like, you guys are supposed to figure it out between us that you, you kind of have to come to a compromise, right? It's not perfect. It's, it's, it's not ideal. Again, golf is really weird, but, um, I thought it was interesting to me because I feel like Victor is very non-confrontational, right? Yeah. He's very laid back. So my first instinct was, okay, if Victor's telling you that's a bad drop, that's a bad drop. And then I looked back and I was like, okay, I do see Berger's point in this question too, but I, I, I guess they came to like a relatively 
fair compromise. I would have given Berger a couple yards farther up, but definitely not as far as he originally wanted. If you're getting an adamant Victor Hovland and an adamant Joel Damon, you're probably in the wrong. That's that's yeah. kind of the way that I I feel about that. And it is funny because they all admitted that we came to a compromise, which is like also the funniest thing to admit. It's like we both know we got it wrong, right? Like Berger didn't get what he thought and Joel and Victor didn't get what they thought. A compromise is like by fairness, the worst the worst outcome because we're all admitting we're not dropping it in the right spot here instead of just picking one side or the another. So I think it's hilarious that they ended up on a compromise, which is only by definition, the worst of the places to drop. Yeah. And the, th the thing about sawgrass too, with a lot of these holes is the way that the hole is designed with the water running up, it kind of juts in and then runs up through the entirety of the hole, which is the case on a lot of holes at Sawgrass. It's really tough also because like if you hit a ball into the water, because the water starts very early on most of these holes, it's almost like it's like hitting the ball out of bounds almost because right. you're not it's not so it's it's very it's very tricky. But I my biggest takeaway is I love that they showed us this. Yes. Right. Like I love I love that the PGA tour um, actually they leaned into it. They were like, okay, this is good content. And they put it out on social media too, which I don't know if that's something that the PGA tour would have done a couple of years ago. Or no, this is, ago. this is a new PGA tour in terms of social and kind of understanding what's going on and showing bad shots. They used to scrub shanks. Now they create yeah. a video on post on YouTube about how golf is hard every single week. So it's definitely a, a different version of, of the tour. Did you do you think that the tour is completely oblivious to some of the conversations around the criticism? Like, do you think that? No, do you, you don't think the so? opposite. Okay. I'm I'm actually very aware that they read everything that happens on Twitter. Well, everything. I'll give you I'll give you an example, like the announcer stuff. Like, oh, do you think, yeah. like, do you think they're oblivious to stuff like that? No, but I also don't think they control it. Right. I mean, uh, the announcer stuff that everyone gets up in arms on over, over, um, well, I guess there's a couple of different ways to look at it. Like the NBC or the CBS, like that's, that's on them, right? Like if yeah. you don't like azing or if you don't like anything that's going on, whatever it is, like the PGA tour probably doesn't have much control there. What they do control obviously is, is the PGA tour live stuff, which I guess you could. Uh, if you wanted to pick a bone with it, they could they could make changes there. Yeah, real quick before we, before we move on because I know we got a bunch of Valspar stuff yeah. to do too. I'm seeing a bunch of comments in the chat about the Casey drive on 16. Just a terrible break. Just awful. I this is probably the worst rule that exists in golf that you yeah. have to play that there. because it's just so inconsistent. It's such an inconsistent like. Okay, we can tamp down the ball, uh, the spike marks and imperfections. Zach Johnson can literally take a practice swing, hit his ball 60 yards and put it back. If it's about like if fairness or intent or whatever, it's just inconsistent that a golfer in the middle of the fairway in a pitch mark uh, cannot move it a half an inch to the left or right without cleaning it. And everyone in the world should be okay with that. That ball was like in the earth. It was like that ball was like underground and I, and the announcers were like, yeah, I don't know if he's, he may have to lay up here. It's like may have to lay up here. <laughs> like, I don't even know if he can get club on that with like a wedge. Um, yeah, just a horrific break. I mean, Casey, Casey had his chances, 
right? But still, I mean, when Cam hit his drive and when Casey hit his drive for uh, for Cam to be in a better position with his third than Casey, I would have never, never, never imagined that. Crazy golf. Crazy golf. John Rom cards a nine on Sunday and falls down to T whatever earns $46,200 for me in the one and done. Daniel Berger gets you 327,000. So the season long totals, Andy Lack, 2.3 million. Rick, 5,500,000, 550,000. So Andy, uh, you dodged a big old bullet here with 20 million bucks in the prize pool. So, Okay, Berger, um, so like Berger finished what, like T14, T15, something like that. Um, and, but because the players, what was he? T13. Okay, T13. All right, so because the players' uh, prize pool was so big, that's basically getting like a like a T6, right? Or a T7 or something like that compared yeah. to a normal purse. Yeah. So I'm very happy with what I got out of Berger this week. He, uh, he had a bunch of chances too. He kind of fell off on Sunday as well. Um, and he got the wrong side of the draw too. Quick question on Rom real quick. Cause I, I just, do you think he's, do you th is he still your master's favorite? Do you think he's, he should be the master's favorite? What's your concern level on Rom? Um, getting more, getting more concerned for sure. I, do, I think he will probably be the master's champion or uh, the master's favorite like by sports yeah. books but i think in my brain you know in a vacuum if it's like hey who would you prefer in a four round matchup against john rom at the masters there's probably a couple of guys i would prefer at this point yeah okay interesting yeah i think he should still be the favorite i think he will still be the favorite you know i think the so much about uh cam smith is you know, it never seems like Cam Smith gets phased out there at all. Like even wow. when he hit that terrible chip into the water on 18, just emotionless, just the same, just his tempo with the swing never changes. It's the same thing every single time. And I think, you know, Rom could use a little bit of that, right? Rom is so up and down based on every shot that he hits. Yeah. And I think you watch somebody like DJ or Cam Smith Have we lost the Andy? I'm not sure if this is Andy's problem or my problem. I think we're still live. All right. Well, here's what we'll do. We'll go to uh, an ad break here. Let's hit the, uh, let's hit the ad. Andy Lack is not only the co-host of The Scramble, but also produces his own show, The Inside Golf Podcast. It's available twice a week, focusing on course breakdowns, DFS, and betting strategies for every PGA Tour event. Admittedly, I was drawn to Andy for his data-driven approach, which you'll find on his Sunday shows as he breaks down the field. But I'm even more impressed by his passion for course architecture, which offers a different perspective of our great game. Mix those together with insightful and humorous guests who don't take themselves too seriously, and you've got a recipe for a great podcast. Follow Inside Golf Pod on Twitter and download Inside Golf wherever you download podcasts. 
All right, friends, we're going to roll on here. We'll try to connect back with Andy in just a second, see if we can get him back up and running. But what he's done already is he's created this really great course preview that's available on rickrungood.com. Andy is uh, a nerd when it comes to golf architecture, our architecture, and I think we all understand that. So there's a course breakdown that's live. And when you look at Innisbrook, the Copperhead course, this is a tough test. This is another situation where if you're shooting two under par every single day, historically, that's going to put you in the mix when this thing finishes up on Sunday, hopefully Sunday afternoon. And while this is still the Florida swing, the feel of it is going to be just a little bit different because generally when you think of Florida, you've got a situation where you have a lot of flat golf courses with water in play on nearly every single hole. The Copperhead course, there's a, a plot of land there that is much more in terms of elevation changes and kind of more tree-lined fairways. So if you are playing out of the short grass, you're going to be in great shape. And if you are more wayward off the tee, you're in a situation where you are in prison. Andy had a really good note in his course preview where, you know, some of the courses that we've seen like Bay Hill and TPC Sawgrass routinely rank inside the top five of most penalty strokes because you're so often hitting your ball into the water. Well, this course, the Copperhead course, while you'll see water out there, it's not really in Play. You have a situation where it ranks bottom five in terms of penalty stroke. So it's kind of a really different, unique side of the Florida swing and one that I think uh, you know, will help maybe some of the more creative players. You'll see that in a little bit as we get down into some of my selections. And I've got Andy selections in here as well, so I probably can roll through those if need be. We'll still try to connect to him. The other interesting things about this, uh, there are five par threes. And the par threes are all like 190 yards or longer. And I'll send this out in my Run Good Rundown. It's a newsletter that I send send out every single week. I'll break it down uh, by golfers who play those types of par threes a little bit better. And then there's also a through line to the par fives. That's generally where you're going to have to make your hay. That's generally where you're going to have to do your scoring because those are probably the only holes that are going to play under par over the course course of the week. Andy's full course preview is on rickrungood.com right now. There's a lot of really good stuff in there. Some of the modeling that he's going to be using, some of the factors that he's putting into play. And I will note if it because if I can't get him back, I'm going to reveal, Oh, stand by Andy. Yeah. Hey, I'm on bud. My phone, my power just went out. Oh, you don't have to, if, if, if you need to go do stuff, you don't need to do this. No, dude. What a, you're no, I'm fine. As long all right. as my audio okay, does yeah, it it's, with yours at all? Yeah, it's fine. We'll we'll roll with it. And I was just trying to uh, regurgitate as much information as I could from your course preview that's currently on RickRunGood.com. But why don't you give us your assessment of the Copperhead course at Innisbrook? Yeah. So the the biggest thing that I noticed is you know it reminds me a lot of the the courses I played at Duke. It's it's tree-lined it has a lot of elevation changes it's not like the typical florida course that we've been seeing a little bit with bay hill and pga national where there's water everywhere um this is more um 
it's more like a death by a thousand paper cuts kind of course. I mean, mm -hmm. there's still water, but it's a very um, technical, tactical course. You have to drive the ball and play. Um, you have to be very, very precise with your irons. They're pretty small greens. Um, so to me, I was looking at like more courses of the Harbor Town mold, right? Like there's not, there's water, but it's not anything crazy. Um, but it's still a very, very, very difficult test, right? You look at the scoring average and, you know, the course always plays over par. Um, the snake yeah. pit, the closing stretch is very difficult. So to me, like I was, I was mainly looking at like guys who are accurate off the tee, um, long iron play, and uh, obviously a little short game as well. Any anytime you have a course with a low greens and regulation percentage, you're gonna you're gonna need a little short game too. I'm glad you mentioned the greens and regulation because this is kind of unique where you have 58% of fairways being hit last year, but 57% of greens. And what that generally says to me, Andy, when you look at courses like that, it's, uh, you know, you can be obviously in the fairway, you can be a little bit off the fairway, but if you're more wayward than that, you're kind of in trouble. And when you see kind of a similar green regulation to fairway, percentage it's because those second shots if you're if you're more off than that it, it's just a lot more troublesome and you have guys who are playing from certain positions where they're never going to hit the green yeah so the main thing is you can't be in the trees right if you're a little bit off the fairway and in the rough that's fine there's been a bunch of winners here rick that have won without hitting over 50 percent of their fairways right um but you know, the penalty for being very wayward, it's a punch out from the pine straw, right? And and that's the ultimate thing that you cannot do whatsoever. So I was really looking at like, okay, who are some guys that keep the ball in play off the tee, right? I don't need them to be super, super accurate, but I, I'm looking for guys that can kind of keep the ball in play off the tee and position themselves to hit these smaller greens. A lot of dog legs, you don't always have to hit driver, Right. So it's it's a real like shot makers course. Right. It's not a surprise to see that guys like Bubba have played well here and Spieth has won here as well. You got to I think there's 13 holes are, are dog legs and some of them are double dog legs, too. So a little bit of kind of creativity and positioning will take you a long way here. It certainly will. And I think it is about that time. We're going to get to the segment that everybody has been waiting for our prize pick segment. So if you haven't been following along 23 and two is the run we're on, on this scramble. We're going to try to continue to do that. Make sure you are logged in and ready to go because when these props come out, I imagine the lines are going to change very quickly. The code you're looking for is Rick, but we are going to do that prize pick segment after this quick word. All of the tools and data that you see me use on this channel is from my site, rickrungood.com. Rickrungood.com is one of the largest golf databases on the planet, and it's geared towards making your DFS and betting research process as efficient as possible. There are literally millions of data points in the database, and while that might sound intimidating, the tools that I've built allow you to cut through the data quickly, choose what's important to use, and even build lineups that are ready for import directly into DraftKings. Outside of that, membership gets you access to the Slack channel, currently 2,000 run-gooders who are ready to share insights and have a little fun. I love it and you will too. Sign up at rickrungood.com. 
All right, Andy, let's prop it like it's hot, my friend. Uh, and hot is how I would describe our picks on this show over the last five or six episodes. 23 and two. I said it last week. I'll say it again. There's no way this continues. However, I would like to try. Yeah, and the the Hovland was a huge sweat, too. I was sweating that with a bunch of people in the Slack channel. Um, he hit the water ball on 17, but he was he was cruising right along there, and we made it. I kind of got it wrong, Rick. You did your selections with the guys that ended up getting the wrong side of the draw, and I did my selections with the guys that I thought were going to get the wrong side of the draw and actually got the right side of the draw, and they still came through for us. So, yeah, it's crazy. 23-2, and two, I've been betting on sports for a really long time, playing DraftKings and betting on golf for a really long time. Um, we got something here. We got something here. And I was looking at the lines again this morning. We didn't have a ton of time um, because they came out just before we went on air. But, man, I still look at some of these lines, and I'm like, man, I, I would just make this line different. So check out prize picks. The code is Rick. There is a link in the description, 100% instant deposit up to a hundred bucks. And, uh, when you're 23 and two, everything is gravy. Okay. Andy, I, um, I have your outline up here. So if you need me to remind you what your picks are, let me know. I know you're working with no power at the moment, but do you want to get us started here with your first prop? I had, uh, let's do the Norin one first, right? Okay. Was it yes. 72? Alex Norin under 72 strokes. These are all round one props because that's how prize picks works. Okay. I think Alex Norin could win. Um, I, I really like Alex Norin a lot this week. I bet I bet him at the players. I bet him at the Honda too. Um, he's just been doing some real provocative stuff with his irons right now. He's gained like over five strokes on approach in back-to-back -back weeks. He hasn't even really putted yet, which is the best part of his game. And, you know, Innisbrook is a difficult course. Par is a good score at Innisbrook for sure. But uh, it did play a little bit easier last year. And I think that's something to note and look at this year because Florida, as we know, has actually gotten a lot of rain. So I do think that similar to last year where we saw Sam Burns actually get to 17 under, I think it is going to play a little bit on the easier side compared to previous years where Paul Casey has won at like eight under, right? So I look at someone like Norin, who's hitting the ball great right now, hasn't even tapped into the best part of his game in the best couple of weeks. And I absolutely think that Norin can shoot under par. He's also, the thing about Norin, Rick, is he's very, very consistent, right? Like tracking him the last couple of weeks, he's always like one under par, two under par, three under par. He doesn't have that bad round. Right. So I think Norin 72, that was just, that was a little too high for me. Yeah. You and I are on a similar wavelength here. Remember this is a 71. So 72 is one over par and we know Florida's like, it's wet, man. It's a little bit softer. It's a little bit easier. So Alex Norin under 72 for Andy. And I, I had something similar. I have Bubba Watson under 72 and a half. I'm getting the hook. High. I'm getting the hook here, Andy. 72 yeah. and a half. This is a par 71. And Bubba Watson, over his career at the Copyright Course, he's gaining like a stroke and a half per round. It's kind of like a low-key Bubba course. I don't know if, if Andy, that's the kind of the creativity, the dog leg aspect of, of this course that kind of allows Bubba to thrive. But under set, I mean, that is, if he shoots one over in round one, we cash this one. Yeah, there's like a weird Augusta correlation here too, Rick, with 
Spieth and Bubba and Carl Schwartzel and Zach Johnson even too. So I love the Bubba play this week. He also had the best route, maybe the best route of the tournament, shooting yeah. a 68 in those terrible conditions. He kind of just struggled like JT went once the conditions got a little bit easier. But it's that's just too high, right? Like it's a par 71. It's going to be a little bit softer. Um I would make these lines a little bit differently, but I'm happy to continue to take advantage of them with you. All right. You and I have also then pivoted to greens in regulation. I imagine that's going to be kind of polarizing here, Andy, because they're hard greens to hit. I went under with mine. You actually went over with your greens in regulation. The number that you got was 11 on Keegan Bradley. Talk me through this. So, I think, you know, greens and regulation percent, it's still on average players are still hitting around 11 greens and regulation. But I look at someone like Keegan Bradley, who Keegan gained 10 strokes ball striking last week and was on the wrong side of the draw and got a yeah. two stroke penalty and is now returning to a course that he almost won at last that's year. That's a really, that's a really, when you start laying it out like that, it is quite compelling. Yeah. It's like, so normally I would typically take the unders on a lot of these greens and regulation and fairways because they generally make them too high. But I thought that Keegan should be 12 here. I mean, I think the way that he's hitting the ball right now, we saw how many greens he's able to hit when it's a little bit softer and the greens are more receptive. He's still over a large sample size, one of the best iron players in the world. Um, so I went with over 11 on Keegan Bradley greens and regulation. I just think the way that he's hitting his irons right now is pretty special. And I expected that number to be 12. Yeah, that is, um, that is quite compelling. So I went with Justin Thomas under 12 greens in regulation, and this is, a couple of different things here. We, we've already talked ad nauseum about how hard these greens are to hit sixth on tour last year in terms of difficulty. And JT over the final two rounds last week, he was just kind of tour average. But you know how this goes for um, uh, for Justin Thomas at times, Andy. When he misses off the tee, he tends to miss bigger than a lot of his peers. And if he hits a couple in the trees where he's going to have no chance of reaching the green in two, it, it's it's not going to be as easy to recover is if he is as wayward off the tee as he sometimes can get. Yeah. And I also think, um, you know, I think with some of these guys like JT and Xander and Morikawa, I think everyone thought um, we were going to see a couple more WDs than we have already this morning. And that still may happen. But the reason why I said, I don't think guys like JT and Morikawa and Xander are going to withdraw is these guys are so, 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 so meticulous about their schedule. Um, yeah. And we're in master's mode right now. And even though the players went a little bit long, like these guys planned their schedules out a year in advance. And my concern with JT is I think that he is looking ahead to Augusta at this point. I think with these guys, I, I even think, Rick, I think you may see some of the bigger name players not play the match play. I actually think that like mm. Rory may not play the match play and stuff like that. So I worry a little bit with some of those like elite players where this is now they're in Augusta mode. And, and I don't know if I see them viewing the Valspar as like, oh my gosh, we need to win the Valspar. 
um, right now. So, yeah, I, I think JT, he's obviously hitting the ball great right now. But, you know, I don't think he's at a bettable number. And, and he's somebody I have my concerns about, too. So to recap, we are putting our 23 and two show record on the line. We are going all rounds one, Alex Norin under 72, Keegan Bradley over 11 greens in regulation, Bubba Watson under 72 and a half strokes, obviously, and Justin Thomas under 12 greens in regulation. That's what we're putting our record on the line with. And then Andy, I'm already seeing hole 11 single hole action is going to be available. Hole 14. And of course the snake pit. <laughs> yeah, the snake pit one's gonna be fun. I need to do a little bit more of a deep dive on that one. Um, yeah. because the with the Honda, we did great at the bear trap, right? And generally, mm -hmm. again, like I don't they struggle sometimes setting these lines for what the long-term math has actually shown. So I need to do a little bit of a deeper dive into the snake pit. I on Friday, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna eat on those ones a little bit because the three-hole stretch ones are super, super fun. And we will have um, pin location information as the week goes on. So that's generally the stuff that we'll end up tweeting out because it'll be more in real time as opposed to what we're able to put together right now. So again, to put a bow on it, we want you to use the link in the description. Use the code Rick. It'll get you 100% instant deposit match up to 100 bucks. And let's roll on these four, which Andy, I was looking at the... Um, the payouts on this, and I'm trying to get it up here. I believe those four selections that we put together on a power play is like 12 to one return. Silly. Silly. Let and, me make and, sure. I mean, 11, it, 11 to one. How, you can be as aggressive or conservative as you want with these. I've been doing the power plays, right? Because that's how strongly I feel about our picks. But yeah, we're just going to continue uh, to do our best to take advantage of this. Yeah, 11 to 1, 50 bucks pays out 550 if we can pull it off. So uh, use the code Rick, use the link in the description, and we've got matchups to get to, and we've got our one-and-done selections, but they are coming on the other side. If you're not playing Daily Fantasy on prize picks, then you're not really playing Daily Fantasy. They offer nothing but props, and they do it better than anyone else. You pick two to five players on an over-under and can win up to 10 times on any entry. They allow mixed sport entries, meaning you can take the over on LeBron James and the under on John Rahm. The golf-specific props are amazing. Birdies or better, fairways hit, greens in regulation, round score, and now, yes, single hole props. That's right. What score will a golfer make on a specific hole? I have prize pick specific tools on my website to help you build the best entries. And now prize picks is offering a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. Just use the code Rick at sign up or click the link in the description. That's code Rick. Good luck. Okay, Andy, time for our head-to-head -head matchups here. We did not do great last week. We were on the wrong end of the wave for a lot of these. So you were one, two, and one. I was oh three and one. We had to wipe. Uh, I wiped the Victor Hovland Hideki Matsuyama matchup because Hideki withdrew. Although I would argue I was in a pretty good spot to win that with Victor, but it will not count for our records. 
Oh, I was gonna say you can count that against me, right? Because nah. he didn't he withdraw after after lock or but he or how but would, he didn't. How would it be graded? If it was a book, it would be graded. I mean, he didn't start. So if you're at yeah. if you have a good regulated book here in the state of Nevada, you would it would have been no action. Okay, good. I will I will gladly gladly <laughs> take it then. Yeah, just a heat check, right? Just a little bit of a. I, I was yeah. going. I was running super hot, so it happens. I, I'm I'm ready to get back on the horses. It, it's true. Your overall record twenty two ten and two. There was also the the big blood swing that we saw was the thirteen shot swing from Dustin Johnson, who tied the course record on not on Sunday on Monday in the final round to Louis Ustase in a thirteen shot swing in one round that flipped that one for us. Yeah, I was not expecting to uh to win that one at all but yeah dj signs of life from dj you know 63 uh holds out for eagle on his final hole and he's in the field he's in the field this week so i have a feeling we'll get to a little more dj a little bit later on in the show we're gonna get to plenty of dj later in the show let's get into the matchups for this week we'll put two young guns against one another victor hovland versus colin morikawa andy what side would you like I'm going to go Victor. I, I just, what Victor is doing right now from a ball striking perspective, I mean, he gained 14 strokes ball striking last week, best of his career. I saw you tweeted that out. Mm -hmm. One thing I noticed about Innisbrook, these greens around the greens, yes, you are going to have to rely on your short game here, of course, but the actual degree of difficulty on the chips I don't think is that difficult around the green here based on all the things I was looking at. So I look at someone like Victor who, when you're hitting the ball this well right now, um, even if you're a neutral putter, right, your floor is so, so, so inherently high. I mean, he finished top 10, losing five strokes short game and around the green right now. So I'm, I am love Colin, but I'm, I'm sticking with what Victor's doing right yeah, you and I were texting about this, about the around the green stuff being a little bit easier here, and the ball striking numbers are just out of this world. So I'm also taking Victor in this matchup, a clean sweep there. Next up, Sam Burns versus Louis Oosthuizen. I'll take the Burns side of this one, Andy. I I like the way Louis sets up for this. His uh, recent history around this event is is splendid. I just wonder if people are going to overlook Burns a little bit more than they should, thanks to that kind of poor final round. But he was in the thick of it for the vast majority of the players' championship. Now going back to a place where he's the defending champ, I'll I'm not loving it, but I'll take the Burns side. Yeah, this is a this is a tough one for me. I kind of went back and forth on this one. I'm gonna take the other side and roll with Louis. The course history here is great. Um, and Louis, you know, looking at his numbers from the players, right? Like he he hit the ball really well. The ball striking seems like it's starting to come around a little bit. At least the off the tee was awesome and, and the irons weren't as much, but they're getting better from what they were at the Honda before too. So I'm going to go with Wooly here, but you know, both of these guys set up very, very well for this course and you could probably take either side and make a good argument for it. There will be blood in that matchup. There will be blood in this next matchup. Bubba Watson versus Keegan Bradley. We've kind of already talked about this because both these guys have made their way into our props. I'm bullish on Bubba. I'll take the Bubba. And you're bullish on Keegan. You're going to take Keegan. 
I'm going to take Keegan. I think Keegan might be like mega chalk this week in DraftKings. It just, it makes a lot of sense. So this is probably what I figure to be my best way to get some exposure to Keegan. So I'm going to roll with Keegan. I, I love the way that he's hitting the ball right now. Bubba is still a little bit erratic for me in terms of what's going on with him. He's played three times in the last six months on the PGA tour. So I think I trust Keegan just a little bit more in a matchup, maybe Bubba to win when I trust more, but like to finish 25th, I probably trust Keegan more. So I'll roll with Keegan. Okay. That leaves us with a couple of Canadians, Adam Hadwin versus Mackenzie Hughes. You and I are on the same side of this, Andy. It's Adam Hadwin. If you go back and look at the numbers, he has made significant approach gains since the turn of the new year. I always like to use that as um, kind of a, a little checkpoint because a lot of guys go home and they work with their coaches and they get their games in shape. And when you see a guy come out of a stretch of time off making gains, it is usually a very good sign. You add that with the fact that he's won this event in the past. I'm taking hat. Yeah, he was on the wrong side of the draw to Rick and finished ninth and gained over four on approach. And now he returns to a course that he's already had a bunch of success at before. So I'm with you. Let's do it with Hadwin. All right. We'll roll together on Adam Hadwin, which leaves us with Brooks Kepka versus Tommy Fleetwood. Interesting little matchup here. We are split. What side of this would you like? I like Tommy this week. I, re I, I really liked what I saw from him at, at the players. You know, he actually, he got off to that really hot start and then kind of faded a little bit, but the ball striking actually got a, a lot better for him. This is one of his best ball striking performances in a while. Um, at the API, he was really getting it done with the short game putter. But as the week went on, like Tommy started hitting the ball really well too. So I, I really like Tommy's chances. This week, I, I've already bet Tommy at, at 55 to 1. Wow. I think it's a pretty good course for him. So I'm going to roll with Tommy here. Uh, this is the matchup I hate the most. I mean, producer Mina put me in a ringer with Brooks Kepka versus Tommy Fleetwood. I'll take the Kepka side. I don't know if I necessarily have a good reason for it other than he got very unlucky, unlucky and get, got wiped at uh, the Players' Championship by the wave. I think for most scenarios... Kepka is just objectively a better golfer than Tommy Fleetwood is. I do worry that the range of outcomes for both of these guys is quite wide, but I, I feel for Brooks, it's even wider. So I am not thrilled with this, but we will find blood in a Kepka versus Fleetwood matchup. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one too. I think the advantage for Brooks is you may be getting a little bit of a break based on an overreaction to you know, a crazy, like with Xander and Morikawa and Brooks, you can't really put any stock into those numbers, right? You can't, you can't really, you, and, and even you could probably make the argument that the fact that they were able to get out of there a little bit early um, might go to, might be used to their advantage. I have no idea what to make of Brooks right now, like of his Me game. I, re I really don't. I, I just, I have no idea where his game is at right now. Uh, neither, neither do I. We'll, we'll find out. We'll learn a little bit more. And then before you know, we're like 26 days away from the masters, which is kind of Crazy. wild. So yeah. we'll see how it yeah. goes. Uh, one and done. So, uh, <laughs> you and I have some big boppers here, Andy, you are our leader. This is not necessarily a huge purse, 7.3, 7.5 million bucks. But if you can find an extra million to add to your total, it's obviously going to go a long way. 
Who would you like to roster this week? Okay, so if I was trailing you at yep. this point of the season, I probably would have taken a shot with somebody in that like 40 to 80 range on the odds board that are really like, like a Norin or a Fleetwood who are both bets for me. But I'm going to play Hobland here. I think I feel good about using Hobland at this point. I like the guys that I still have left for the majors. I've used some big names already like Rom and JT, but I still have the guys that I want for the majors left. So I feel pretty comfortable using Hobland here because I know that I'm getting a guy that if he's even a neutral putter this week or neutral around the green, probably finishing in the top 10 and like rick you got to correct me if i'm wrong on this because you know victor obviously personally too but that concern that i brought up a little bit earlier about you know for jt and morikawa and xander i know for for sure this is really like a master's prep scheduling spot for them where they plan this out and they they want these reps before the masters I feel like Victor's like, I want to win the Valspar. I feel like Victor's more like, no, I want to win the thing that is exactly in front of me. Yes, and he just loves to play golf, and he loves a challenge. There's also, there is still part of Victor that, um, and I've talked to, with him about this, where it's like, he's still trying to find the good and bad spots for him on tour. Remember, he missed the cut at Mayakoba, I think the first two times he played it, and he was like, ah, I'm too young. I got to figure out if this is a good spot for me. Then he goes back to back there. So he's still very much surveying the tour's scheduling landscape, finding what is going to work for him when he is a savvy vet and he's going to play the 19 times a year. He knows exactly where they're going to be. So he, I, I'm very sure that when he tees it up for a golf tournament, uh, he is there to win that week. It is not prep for anything in the future. By the way, Quickly, before we get into yours, hand up accountability for me. I floated a theory to you last week. I don't know if you remember this, about my concerns about Victor on Pete Dye courses and yeah. the visual deception and the sight lines of it. I think if you gain 14 strokes ball striking, <laughs> the course fits your eye just fine. So I may need to rework that theory. It was in the workshop for a little yeah. bit, and we're putting it we're putting it to rest for now. We'll keep chewing on that one for a while. I'm going with uh, Dustin Johnson here. And this is kind of an awkward situation here, Andy, because I think in general, I'm a lot more bearish on DJ than I have been in the last 12 or 18 months. I never really know what the state of his game is. I don't know how comfortable I'm going to necessarily be rolling him out at a major championship anytime soon, but we get the course record in the final round last week. We're starting to see signs. And then something that was in your uh, course preview for the week was kind of two through lines of the Copperhead course, the long threes and the fives, right? There's five par threes. They're generally on the longer side. And the only holes that really play under par are, are the fives. And when you start looking at the long threes and the fives, the one common name on both of those lists seems to be Dustin Johnson. So I'm going to take um, a hair of a flyer here. I'm, I'm not really sure how comfortable I am in this scenario using DJ, but I also don't know how I feel about using him in the future. I'm going to, I'm going to roll him out and see what happens. I like that. I think DJ is, is turning it on right now. He's on, he's on my radar too, for, uh, 
for DraftKings and such. Um, yeah, I you know, I was really impressed with what I saw last week, particularly on Sunday. I think this is a good course for DJ. He's played well here before. He's finished six here before. Um, so I like the pick. I, I, I think I think with where you're at in in the in the standings between us, I think DJ makes sense here, right? Because he has the win equity, the right. winning upside, right? And the way that you've selected your guys, you don't necessarily, you still are in a good spot with who you've got left for the majors. Yeah, for sure. For sure. The, the game's so deep. I can just, you know, roll out so many different guys. Andy Lack is available on Twitter at ADP Lack Sports. The code you're looking for for prize picks is Rick. The link is in the description and we are going to try to extend this hot run that we've been on. Andy, uh, thank you very much for powering through with no power, my friend. Yeah, absolutely, man. So I'm going to, I'm going back to New York for the next two weeks to, to visit family. So I'll be back. I'll be back in New York, different, well, different recording studio <laughs> back there. I, I tried to, this is my last one in California for the, for the next couple of weeks and uh, just got some bad luck, but absolutely, man, I'm glad that I was able to get it through on my phone and um, excited for the week, man. I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, absolutely. We will talk soon and you can follow Andy on Twitter. Our next scramble will be Friday, 12 p.m. Eastern time, same place, Rick Rungood YouTube channel. But until then, good luck. We'll see you next time.